Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Tonight, what I kind of want to talk about, the title of my message is going to be Choose Faith. Go ahead and look to the person next to you and say, Choose Faith. Now look to the other person who for some reason you did not choose uh, at the beginning, but look to them and say, hey, you, you got to choose faith too. And I remember when I was about to get married, me and my wife were going through premarital counseling, which I uh, think is amazing. And it gives you an opportunity to learn about yourself. Uh, learn about the person you're about to spend the rest of your life with. It's an amazing thing that we got to do. And there was something that the person who was doing our premarital counseling said that I'm sure you've probably heard before, but he said, love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Has anyone ever heard that before? Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And he went on to say, there are going to be some days where you're not going to feel like being a good spouse, where you're just going to not really feel like doing it, where your husband or your wife is going to ask you to do something. And to be honest, you don't have a reason why you don't want to do it. There's not really a good uh, option for why you don't want to do it, but you just don't really feel like it. But in those moments, you have to remember that love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, right. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Are you kidding? Like, what do you mean? I won't want to do everything my wife wants to ask me. I want to be a good husband. I want to do everything that she, I'm going to feel like it for sure. This guy's crazy. And then about two days after our honeymoon, uh, I was <laughs> sitting at the house and I'm at the house and I, at this time, got home before my wife. So I'm sitting there and I'm on the couch and I'm watching the game uh, back when the Lakers used to make the playoffs and get past the first round. It was awesome. Uh, those were beautiful days. Um, so I'm watching the game and I have this thought. I have this thought and I think, well, I'm here. My wife's not here. She would just love it if I just cleaned the whole house. Like she would just love it. It would be amazing. She would be so happy. I'll do the dishes. I'll clean the whole house. I'll scrub the floors. I'll do everything. It'll be amazing. And she'll be so happy. But then I had another thought that I'm super comfortable right now. Like, I don't know if you guys have an L couch, but we have an L couch. Once you're in that L, there, there ain't no getting out. So I'm in this couch. I'm watching the game. And I'm like, I, I want to kind of do this for my wife. But this is also a really good game. Like the game is, this is a lot of fun. I don't really want to do that. And What's interesting is I remembered what my premarital counselor had said is he said, love is not a feeling, love is a choice. And now whether or not I got up off that couch and cleaned, I will leave uh, to your imagination. Um, but I think that we all can agree that there are moments in our lives, that there are moments in our marriages to where we honestly just don't really feel like doing something. And I think if we even dig a little bit deeper, we realize in every relationship, friendships and all of our relationships with our family, that there are times where we don't really feel like being good to the people around us. And we can even take it any deeper to maybe to where you're at work. There are times where you don't feel like being a good employee. There are times where I don't really feel like showing up early. There are times where I don't really feel like staying late. But all of these things aren't feelings, they're choices. And I began reflecting on this and thinking, if this is the way that it is in our marriages, if this is the way that it is in our families, if this is the way that it is in our relationships and even with our jobs, well, then how much more is that, that the way that it is with our faith? 
And I think what can happen is that we can sometimes think that faith is kind of a feeling instead of a choice. But all it takes is to be a Christian for about a day to realize that there are gonna be times where you're gonna read things in the Bible to where you're not really gonna feel like doing them. Like there are times where I don't really feel like loving my enemy. There are really times I don't really feel like sacrificing. Can we take it a little bit deeper? There are gonna be times where maybe you've even experienced a tragedy to where you've had a hard moment in your life and maybe you have a friend who's a Christian and they tell you, consider it all joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you're honest, you don't really feel like it. But I think what we have to remember is that faith isn't a feeling. Faith is a choice. And we have two people in our story tonight that we're gonna talk about to where they have to decide whether or not they're gonna choose faith, whether or not they're gonna choose to be faithful. And it all starts with them meeting Jesus. And at this point in Jesus's life, he, he's pretty much like uh, a really great and influential uh, priest. He's really walking around and people are just following him. They can't wait to see like what he's gonna do next. He's healing people. He's freeing people from all types of things. And in our verse tonight, Mark chapter five, verse 21, and I am going to uh, preface this. We are gonna read a, a little bit of the Bible tonight. It is gonna be a, a pretty lengthy reading. It's only 20 verses. Can you guys give me 20 verses? Just 20 verses and that's it. Can I get 20? Just 20 verses. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman knowing what had happened to her came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Come on, who knows we could stop at that verse and just kind of move on. Like sometimes you kind of let people come with you that probably shouldn't be in the room. Like sometimes you guys let doubters come with you and it's like, whoa, I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to make a miracle happen, but there are people kind of in your lives. Can I encourage you? that it might be hard to cut some people out of your lives, that it might be hard to kind of cut the doubters out of your lives, but what follows after cutting people out of your lives is always a miracle. What follows after cutting doubters out of your lives, people who are speaking death over your situation, hey, you should just go home. What follows is faith. What follows is a miracle. And the story continues. And it said, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. 
but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told him to give her something to eat. Let's pray one more time. God, I thank you that you empower us, that you encourage us, that you give us the strength to choose faith no matter what we're going through. I thank you, God, that there are times in our lives where if we're being completely honest, we don't wanna choose faith. We don't wanna choose uh, strength. We don't wanna choose what you have for us. But I pray that in those moments, you remind us that faith is not a feeling, that faith is not an emotion, but faith is a choice. And God, we even say a special prayer, God, for your team, God, the Los Angeles Lakers. We thank you, God, that uh, you must be doing something because we are at a setback, but I believe that setback is a setup. Come on, somebody. And God, we even say a prayer for uh, your other child, the one you don't love as much, but I'll even say a prayer tonight for the Golden State Warriors. Come on, we pray health over that team. Come on, heal Clay in Jesus' name. Uh, And all God's people said, amen. Um, Over the last few days, I have kind of realized that there are two different types of people in the world. There are two different types of people. There are people who are complete opposites. And honestly, I just wanted to kind of do a poll of our church to see uh, what kind of people we have in the house tonight. So what I'm going to need you to do is I'm going to need you to raise your hand if you enjoy watching the show Friends. Raise your hand. There we go. There, these are God's people. God's hand is on your life. Your mansion in heaven is a little bit bigger and it also has better humor. It is awesome. Great job. So proud of our church. Now raise your hand if you enjoy watching the show, The Office. Okay, you guys still go to heaven, but your, your mansion has dry humor. Hilarious. Um, so the reason why I had been reflecting on this is because a couple of my friends, and one of them actually happens to be in the room tonight, but a couple of my friends actually posted a meme and this meme was making fun of people who watched the show Friends. And what the meme basically, basically was, was it was a guy trying to get his like, friends to watch Friends. Like he was trying to get his homie to watch Friends. So he's talking to him and it says, hey man, you gotta watch Friends, bro. Uh, there's this episode where they lift a couch up the stairs and this guy yells pivot really loud. It's really funny, you should watch it. And I gotta be honest, I felt like uh, Michael Jordan in the last uh, dance documentary. I took that personally, I did. I felt personally victimized, to which I responded to one of my friends that posted this. And I said, yeah, man, you're totally right. Friends is terrible. I heard there's another show where people kind of just go to work and then they go home. Riveting. Amazing. Wow. Can't wait to watch that show. Really creative. Um, But what I realized was that they're opposite. People who like Friends, people who like The Office, honestly, um, they just like different humor. They like different things. People who like Friends usually like maybe shows with a laugh track. They like shows that are a little bit crazy. People who like The Office, I don't know what you like, but you like something. Um, It's Maybe I'll find out one day. But I realize these people are usually pretty opposite, that they usually have different preferences. And in our story tonight, we have two people who are completely opposite. On this hand, we have Jairus, who the Bible says was a synagogue leader. He serves in his local church. That basically means that he gives his life to serving his community, to serving the people around him. By the fact that he's pleading with Jesus to heal his daughter, this means that he loves his family. This means that he loves his children. Jairus does his best. When you hear the name Jairus, you think of a good man. And then over here, we have what's her name? The Bible doesn't even really tell us her name, which basically means that the authors of the story either forgot it 
or they didn't think enough to even ask. That alone should show us her worth in the community. She was what the Bible would have called in these times unclean, which basically means, we'll talk a little bit about it later, but that basically means that she was exiled from her community, that she couldn't even go near the general population. And we have two people who are completely opposite. One person with maybe a little bit more wealth, one person who spent all of their resources, one person with a family, one person who has to live in isolation by herself, but they both are brought together by the one thing that they had in common. They were desperate. You see, Jairus was about to lose his little girl. He goes up to Jesus and he's begging to him. And the fact that he has to beg Jesus, and not only that, but we read the story, the fact that his daughter actually dies during the conversation lets us know that this is probably his last chance. This is probably a last ditch effort. This is him trying to save his daughter. He's trying to be a good father. Jairus was desperate. And then we have this woman who the Bible actually tells us that she had spent everything that she's owned. She spent all of her resources fighting this disease, battling this disease, and she has nothing left. Her last option is just reaching by and trying to touch a guy that's walking by. Who knows that that means that she is desperate. And I think if this last year has taught us anything, then it's taught us that it doesn't matter your uh, political affiliation. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter your education. And if I'm being completely honest, it doesn't even matter your religious beliefs, but we are all one phone call, one tragedy, one virus away from being completely and utterly and hopelessly desperate. And we have two people here who are complete opposites, who are complete, they could not be more anti each other. And yet they are found in the same place, found in the same environment, found approaching the same man because they were desperate. Point number one tonight, we're going to talk about three times that we have to choose faith, three ways that we have to choose faith in our lives. Point number one, can you choose faith when you're desperate? Can you choose faith when you're desperate? Another way that I want us to even reflect on this question is where is your desperation leading you? Because if I'm being completely honest, Desperation will lead you to do some things, won't it? Desperation will lead you to take a job that you never even really wanted that might cost you your character. Desperation might cause you to go back to a relationship that you knew wasn't the right one, even if it might've been abusive. Des desperation will cause you to make some choices. Desperation will cause you to do some things. Desperation will cause you to uh, maybe lose some opportunity, to maybe lose some relationships, to maybe lose some things. So it is imperative, it is of the utmost importance that we not only as Christians, but as people in general, take inventory of where do we go when we're desperate? Because if you show me where you go where you're desperate, well, then I'll show you what you worship. You show me where you go, where you're desperate. Well, then I'll show you what you have faith in. I'll show you what you believe in. I'll show you where your hope is. And we have two people who have their life changed forever, whose lives would never be the same, not because of their education, not because of anything that they've done, not because of anything that they will do, but because they are completely and utterly desperate. And they decided I'm gonna be found at Jesus' feet. If I'm gonna be found anywhere where I'm desperate, I'm gonna be found at the house of God. If I'm gonna be anywhere where I'm lost, I'm gonna be found at the house of God. Can I remind you tonight that if you were desperate, that if you were on your last leg, if you need a last stitch effort, there is nowhere else to go. There is nowhere better to be. There is nowhere better to be found than at the feet than at at the hope of Jesus. But can you choose faith when you're desperate? Can you choose faith when you're on your last leg? And the story continues. And it says in verse 25, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed freed from your suffering. And uh, we talked about a little bit, but this woman would have been what they called in this culture unclean. And the reason why this is important to know is because being unclean in this culture, they would have considered it worse than a death sentence. They actually would have called people who were unclean and walking around with these, they would have called them the walking dead. There were guidelines that you had to follow when you were unclean, because if you went and, and came in contact with someone who was clean, well, then that person is now unclean. Well, then that person now has to follow these guidelines. So there were guidelines that you had to follow. One of them, which I touched on a little bit, but you had to live outside of the general population and you had to live in isolation. So if you were deemed unclean, you had to live by yourself outside of the general population. And let's say you have to go near the general population. Well, well, then you have to wear certain clothes. So you could identify someone who was unclean by what they were wearing. You could identify someone who was unclean by, by the way that their hair was set up. And if that didn't work, if that's not embarrassing enough, if, if that's not enough, well, then every time you walked into an environment where there were other people there, you had to yell out, hey, everyone, just so you know, I'm unclean. Hey, I, I know that you're just, just eating with your family and, and you don't really honestly give a bother about what I'm doing, but, but just so you know, I'm unclean. I know that you're in, in downtown Walnut Creek eating Wetzel's pretzels, but, but just so you know, don't come near me. I'm unclean. And what's sad is that even though this isn't a guideline in our culture today, even though this isn't something that we're required to do today, I think that this is still the same way that a lot of us walk into church. To where as soon as we walk in, we put distance between us and the people around us. Hey, I know you want me to join a small group, but I can't do that yet. I'm, I'm unclean. I, I know that you want me to go to mission track and, and hear more about the, the church and get more involved in the church, but I can't do that yet. I'm I'm unclean. I know that you want me to serve on a team and give my life and give my resources to something that's, that's bigger than me, but I can't do that yet. I'm, I'm unclean. And we begin to put distance between us and our community. We put distance between us and God. We walk in and put distance between the people around us and us. And when you come to church like this, yes, you might be able to be entertained, but you'll never feel restoration. When you come to church like this, yes, you might have a good time. Yes, you might sing some songs. Yes, you might be inspired, but you'll never have your life changed. And we have this woman who decides that, hey, I'm not gonna focus on my status. I'm actually gonna focus on Jesus' status. I'm not gonna focus on what they say I am, but I'm gonna focus on Jesus. Point number two tonight. The second time that we have to choose faith. Can you choose faith when you're rejected? Can you choose faith when you're rejected? You see, this woman for the last 12 years has experienced nothing but rejection. She would go to doctors and she would think, okay, this is it. This is the moment. I've, I've spent a ton of money. I've, I've, they've done the research. They said this time I could finally be healed, that, that this time would be different, only to be told, hey, I'm sorry, you, you still have this disease. You, you, still, you still aren't healed. That's rejection. 
She would go to priests periodically trying to get her clean status back because the only way that you could be clean again if you were unclean is if a priest had told you you were clean. So she would go to priests and think, okay, maybe I'll be able to move back with my family. Maybe I'll be able to have a life. Maybe I'll be able to get it. Maybe I'll be able to do all these different things only to be told, I'm sorry, but you're gonna have to go back to living in isolation. But you're gonna go, have to go back to living alone. You're gonna have to still wear the clothes. You're, you're still gonna have to chant. You're gonna have to do all of these things. That is rejection. And what can happen in our lives is when we face rejection, when we've been rejected, what we have to do in those moments is choose faith. What we have to do in those moments is, is choose God. And what can happen is we can read this story because of the stigma around it, because maybe you've heard this story before and automatically think, oh, wow, what an inspiring moment. What an act of faith. Go her. That's amazing. But can I tell you, in this culture, this would have actually been considered reckless. This would have actually been considered dangerous. This would have been considered irresponsible. Are you kidding me? You're out here in a crowd bumping into people, putting people at risk. And not only that, but if you go to the synagogue, it is an automatic death sentence if you're unclean. Automatic, no questions asked. And you come in here and you touch the priest? You touch the pastor? Are you serious? And we can tell that she even feels this weight because the first thing that she does when she realizes what she's done, when Jesus realizes what she's done, is the first thing she does is she begins to bow down at his feet. She begins to explain herself, saying, Jesus, I, I know that this might not have been the best way to go about it. I, I know that I probably shouldn't have did that. I, I know that this doesn't actually go against protocol, that this goes against protocol, but, but I just thought that I could get clean again. I just thought that I could get healed. I just thought that, that this time would be different. This was my last shot, Jesus. And Jesus, who would have had every option to reject her, every option to condemn her, every option to judge her, instead decides to restore her. She could have changed Jesus' status, but Jesus changed her status instead. She could have made Jesus unclean, but Jesus decides to make her clean and whole and restored because Jesus doesn't just call those that are clean, but Jesus has a way of cleaning those that are called. See, Jesus doesn't just call the people that are clean, call the people that are figured, have it all figured out, but Jesus has a way of cleaning those that are called. And there are some people in here tonight to where you've taken a step back from serving at church. Maybe you've taken a step back from doing the things you used to do because of some decisions you've made over the last couple of years. Can I remind you tonight that Jesus doesn't just call those that are clean, but Jesus has a way of cleaning those that are called. And we get one of the most amazing, one of the most powerful moments in the entire story. Jesus looks at this woman and he says, go and be freed from your suffering. Now at face value, this can kind of just look like another inspirational quote. Like, oh, that's good, Jesus. This can kind of just look like something like, oh, that's great. We can, we can tweet that out. That's amazing. But can I tell you tonight that the only way, like we said, you could get clean again if you were unclean was if a priest had deemed you clean. So Jesus isn't just giving her something she can post on Instagram. Jesus isn't just saying, hey guys, make sure you write this down. But Jesus is actually restoring her to her community. He's actually telling her, hey, you can go home now. Hey, you can have a life. Hey, you can have your family. Is there anybody in here that's thankful tonight that Jesus isn't just concerned with your eternity? Jesus isn't just concerned with sending you to heaven, but he has a way of restoring. He has a way of cleaning. He has a way of making whole the things in your life that you've lost. I don't know what you've lost in here tonight. Maybe you've lost some opportunities. Maybe you've lost some relationships. Maybe you've lost some things. Maybe even financially, you've taken a loss because of some decisions that you made. Can I remind you tonight that Jesus doesn't just call those who have it figured out. Jesus doesn't just call those who have everything together, but Jesus has a way of cleaning those who were called. But can you choose faith when you've been rejected? Can you choose faith when things aren't going your way? Because this woman doesn't get healed if she doesn't reach out. You see, a lot of us just want the healing. 
A lot of us just want the benefits. A lot of us just want the blessing, but this woman had to reach out for what God had for her. And my prayer for our church is that we would have faith, whether we're rejected or whether we're desperate. This is a powerful moment. This is an inspirational moment. This moment meant something. This moment will be written down in history forever, but everyone seems to have forgotten something. Where's Jairus? You see, Jairus was the main character of this story. Jairus was the one who asked Jesus to heal his, her, his daughter. Jairus was the one who, Jesus wouldn't even be walking this way if it wasn't for Jairus. Now, if I'm Jairus at this time, as I invite the band up, I, if I'm Jairus, I, I gotta be honest with you. I'm probably gonna hurry Jesus along. Hey, Jesus, I don't know if I fully uh, explain the severity of the situation. I don't think you fully understand how badly I needed this miracle. Time is not on my daughter's side, Jesus. If I'm Jairus, I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna start begging. Jesus, she's 12. Jesus, she has her whole life ahead of her. Jesus, she has some things that she's supposed to achieve. Her, her time's not done yet. It can't be. Jesus, I, Jesus, we need you to hurry up. And while Jairus is watching this woman get her healing, while Jairus is watching this woman get what she honestly didn't even deserve at the time, while Jairus is watching this woman who skipped the line, his servant walks up to him and he says, hey man, sorry to have to tell you this, but your daughter passed away. Don't even bother the teacher. I'm sure he's busy, you know, saving the universe and death in the grave. I think he has some things to do. Let's just go home. And as our story comes to a close, In verse 36, it says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, there are a few places that uh, I gotta be honest, I just hate going. Like I, if you told me, hey, you never have to go to these places, I would be like, thank God. Um, one of those places is the grocery store. Is there anybody in here that's like me and you hate the grocery store? Uh, is there anyone who's the exact opposite and you just love the grocery store? Okay, can I be honest with you? The grocery store is not an outing. Like the grocery store is not an event. We are going because we need food. We need to survive. Uh, my wife is one of those people that just loves the grocery store. Like I go in, I get a list. I'm trying to get out in 15 minutes. She goes up and down every single aisle. Is there anyone like that? You got to see every aisle because they might have something new. It's the grocery store. Um, I hate going to the grocery store. Another place I hate going is the dentist. Oh, I hate going. Is there anyone you hate the dentist? So growing up, I got cavities like all the time. So my only reminder of the dentist, I don't, like I've never just went in and just got a cleaning. Like I feel like that's what people who enjoy the dentist have. Like you went in, you got a cleaning, you went home. Awesome. Uh, that wasn't me. I went in, I got fillings, I got my teeth scraped. Uh, it was just bad all around. So I hate going to the dentist. But one place I hate, oh, there's one place I hate more than any of those places. 
I would go to those places every day if I never had to go to this place. That's the DMV. Oh, I hate the DMV. Oh, I hate the DMV. It's never just, oh, you went, like no one ever says, oh, I just went to the DMV and then I went home. There's always a story every single time. Something happened, something went wrong. And a couple weeks ago, I had to go to the DMV because my license had expired and uh, it was time for me to just get a California license. It was time for me to just, you know, just say, let's do it. We're gonna get a California license. So I go through the online application and the way that they have you do it now because of COVID is you go and you fill out all the information online uh, and then you go in and it's supposed to be faster. So I thought, oh, this is gonna be amazing. Every, they have everything they need. Um, but when I get to the end, they say, hey, you need three, these three documents. You need an identification, you need your social security card, and you need proof of residency. But the issue, like I just said, was that my license was expired. And then it said, oh, well, you can bring a passport. Well, my passport is also expired. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a procrastinator, uh, procrastinator, if you can't tell. Um, so I'm like, I Google it because that's what you do when you gotta figure something out, you Google it. So I Google, I say, hey, how long is an expired license valid? Like those are the kind of questions that my Google has. How long is an expired license valid? And it said, oh, you have 90 days. So I'm like, cool, I can go to the DMV. I can get my license. Everything's gonna work out. So me and my wife, we go to the DMV and we're there for two hours. I'm like, what did I fill out the online application for? I'm so confused. So we're there for two hours. And then I finally get to the front. I'm like, all right, this is gonna be so easy. They have all my information. They say, hey, do you have your proof of residency? I said, yep, I got a utility bill. Do you have your social security card? Yep, yep, I have my social security card. Do you have identification? Yep, here's my license. She looks down at it, looks up at me and goes, this is expired. And that was it. Like she didn't say anything else. I'm like, yeah, don't I get like 90 days? No. Then she just looks at me and I'm like, are, are we done here? Like, does that mean you can't help me? She goes, yeah, 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 we're done here. I'm like, all right. So then I have to go home. I have to get a birth certificate mailed in. Like I literally have to just say, all right, I got to get it mailed in because why would it be in my house? That would be convenient. Um, so I literally have to get a birth certificate mailed in and I go back to the DMV and I'm like, all right, I got everything right. This is it, I did everything right, I'm locked in. This is gonna be the easiest trip to the DMV ever. So I go, I wait another two hours in line. I get to the front. She says, hey, do you have your proof of identification? Oh yeah, yeah, here you go, birth certificate. Do you have your social security card? Yep, yep, here's my social security card. Do you have proof of residency? Yeah, 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 I have my uh, utility bill. Let me pull it out my phone real quick. Oh, we need a printed copy. It's 2021. What do you need a printed copy? Well, we need, we need a printed copy. Well, I don't have a printed copy. What, what do you mean? Well, you need to go get one. Well, can I just, e this is an exact quote. Can I just email it to you? Oh, we don't use email here. I feel like you're lying to me. I, I worked for the government for a little bit. I don't want to say you're lying to me, but I, I feel like you're lying to me. So then I'm like, all right, well, I have to go again. I'm like, there's no way that, I mean, yeah, yeah never mind. I won't talk about that. So uh, as I move on, so I'm like, all right, this is it. I go home, I got my birth certificate. I got my social security card. I got my utility bill printed. And I'm like, all right, I'm finally going to be able to go get my license. So I go back. I wait in line for two hours because why would I wait for any shorter? That would be convenient. And I get to the front and she says, all right, do you have your identification? Yeah, 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 here you go. Here's my, here's my birth certificate. Do you have your social security card? Yeah, 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 here it is, here it is. 
Do you have your utility bill? Yes, I do. And it's printed. It is right this time. She says, all right, all right, cool, cool. So now we'll just get you your license. But first, you have to take the eye test. Dude, oh my gosh. So I take the eye test and the first thing she asked me, do you ever wear glasses? I can't lie in church. I said, nope, never, once. I have glasses on now, if you can't tell. Uh, But I said, nope, I do not wear glasses. I've never worn glasses. Do you wear contacts? Nope, nope, I sure don't. I get through the eye test and I go on the last row and I gotta be honest with you, I can't see it. So I'm reading and I have one hand covered over my eye and she's like, can you read the letters? I say F-W-X-T. But then I realize that it's not a T, it's a P. So I uncover my eye real quick, said P, put it back. She was like, that was close. I almost had to send you home. I was like, good God, forgive me, Lord, but I I cannot come back to the DMV. But the reason why I was so frustrated was because in my mind, I had did everything right. I got the identification. I got the the social security card. I got the utility utility bill. I did everything that I could. And Jairus at this moment, what you need to know is he has done nothing wrong. He's done everything right. He politely goes up to Jesus and he begs him to to heal his daughter. And and he's polite. And from what we can tell from the story, Jairus hasn't once pushed Jesus to, to hurry along. He hasn't once been rude. And this is just in the last five minutes. You see, Jairus has spent his life serving the local church, serving his community, trying to be a good father, serving God. And now is his time to collect. God, I've been faithful to you. It's time for you to be faithful to me. God, God I've served you, but now, now I really need something. I, I really need you to move. I, I, have you ever been in that position to where it's like, God, God, I'm praying, but this time I'm praying and I'm not really messing around. Like I need something now. I need you to move now. I need a movement right now. And what happens is Jairus at this moment has to make a decision. Jesus says, just hold on, just believe. Yeah, easy for you to say, Jesus, son of man, guy who's pulling the strings, you have the power to heal my daughter and you want me to just believe? But point number three tonight, the last time I think that we have to really try to choose faith. Can you choose faith when you're waiting? Can you choose faith when you're waiting? I think the reason why a lot of us are confused about whether or not we're living in faith, whether or not we should take this step of faith, whether or not we should do this or that is because we believe that faith only looks one way. You see, we believe that faith is only the big step, that it's only the reaching out, that it's only, I moved across the country, I'm living in faith. I I quit my job, I, I I took the better one, I'm living in faith. I did this, I sold everything out. I'm living in faith. But can I tell you that what I have seen in my own life is that it takes just as much faith, if not more, to watch everyone else get the healing, to watch everyone else get blessed, to watch everything else happen for everyone else while you are standing in the background saying, Jesus, I refuse to leave your side. I am not moving. I will not go anywhere. I will stay faithful. I will do what you've called me to do. Faith sometimes looks like leaving, but faith most times looks like staying. Faith sometimes looks like being sent out, but faith most times looks like being planted, saying, I'm not going anywhere unless you you come with me, Jesus. I'm not moving unless you move. And we get one of the most subtle, yet one of the most impactful verses in this entire story. The Bible says that they arrived at Jairus's house. You see, this isn't something that usually gets gets preached about. This This is usually a verse that gets looked over, but they arrived at Jairus's house, meaning that at some point, between Jairus watching this woman get her healing, 
between hearing that his daughter had passed away, hearing that all hope was lost, Jairus still decides to say, you know what, Jesus, if it's not too late for you, then it's not too late for me. We can go to the house. I believe that I'm going to get healing. I believe that I'm going to get restored. I believe that miracles can happen. Can we be a church? that lives in the most unchurched region in America that says, God, if it's not too late for you, then it's not too late for us. Can we be a church that when we get the the doctor's report, when we get the divorces final, when we get that our kids are acting crazy, we say, God, if it's not too late for you, then it's not too late for me. But can you choose faith when you're waiting? At any point, Jairus could have left. Jesus wouldn't have said anything. Nobody would have thought anything of it. But because he stayed faithful, Jesus was able to move in his life. And my encouragement for you tonight is not to leave too soon. At any point, Jairus could have left and said, this is taking too long. Jesus, what do you mean? Who t- what do you mean? It's time to get going. I- I'm out of here. But no, he decided to stay faithful. And can I ask for you as a church to commit that I'm gonna stay faithful to what God has for me. I might not know what the next step is, but I know where he's called me now and I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna be fruitful, I'm gonna do everything that I can to get what I need out of this season. Because faith isn't an emotion. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith doesn't just come and go, but faith is a choice. Faith is choosing, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna be faithful and I'm gonna do what God's called me to do. Can we stand to our feet tonight? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.